Well, good morning and welcome. My name is Rob. Happy Easter. We are glad that you are here. If you are joining us for the first time this Sunday morning, we'd like to make it abundantly clear that we are not a perfect church, but that we are perfectly love. And it's this Easter Sunday that shows us the greatest display of that love and the power of that love to overcome our brokenness and the grave. I am, uh, I'm going to start by leveling with you this morning, just shooting you straight. I want to share my agenda, right? We live in the outskirts of D.C., town of competing agendas, people uh, leveraging their status, their financial status, uh, their political and relational status, their educational status, leveraging those statuses so that they can accomplish their agenda. Here's my agenda this morning. My aim on this Easter Sunday is to do away with any notion that you might have that what we're doing here and what we're talking about here is not really connected to the rest of life. If I could put it positively, I hope that we will see that what we are talking about here on this Sunday, on Easter Sunday, has everything to do with every area of your life, every day of your life. That's my aim. Right? I think sometimes there's a temptation to, to treat the Easter message or Easter like it's that, that once a year, that annual spiritual checkup that we just kind of got to do, right? Um, we don't need just uh, this message just once a year or really even once a week. We need it every day. As we go to work in our classrooms, as we try to navigate our dating life, try to figure out what it means to love our child with special needs, Try to figure out what life after divorce looks like. You see, um, the message of Easter, it offers real hope for real people. Which means that um, if you came in this morning and you were intent on pretending that you've got it all together, um, that you've got it all figured out. Maybe uh, you're prone to think that your very presence here proves that you got it all figured out. Um, well, frankly, the message of Easter doesn't have much to say to you then. But if we're here this morning and we're going to be real, and by that I mean honest with ourselves and honest with our Creator, then there's hope. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. So let's pray and then dive into God's word. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, by your spirit, would you help us see Jesus and the hope that's found in him. Save us from pretending or distraction, despair or pride. We pray all this in the name of your risen son and our savior. Amen. I wonder if you noticed that our passage this morning... It actually doesn't start on Easter morning, right? It starts on Easter evening. If you see it there, verse 19, sun is setting. It's the end of the day. John, who's recording this account of Jesus' life and ministries, letting us know what's happening. You see there in verse 19 that the, um, the disciples are celebrating this news that they've heard from Mary. They're, they're rejoicing that all that Jesus has taught them and said has come true. They're considering all that this means for their life and their ministry. False, right? It doesn't say any of that. 
What does John write? He says that he and the other disciples were hiding. They were terrified of the religious leaders, so scared that they had locked the door. Like, have you ever been that scared where you, hey, can we make sure the door is locked? That's something of where they were. And so we see here, like us, these are real people in need of some real hope. So we're going to look at those two things this morning, real people in need of real hope. Let's start with the people. In fact, let's begin with an assignment. All right, we're in school after all. I can give out assignments, right? (laughs) Students, sorry for an assignment on Sunday, but hey, guess what? It's not graded, all right? It's a religious holiday, and FCPS has this policy. You can't grade on religious holidays. And so here's the assignment. If you were going to make some descriptions about leaders that you would want to lead a worldwide movement, you're going to uh, have a list of words of, uh, to describe, maybe even just leaders for your company or your classroom, um, what words would describe them? If you're making your list in your head, what would be one, maybe one of the top one or two words that would describe these leaders? Well, when we come to this passage here, the words that John uses for these early foundational leaders Um, of Christianity. The words that would describe them are anxious and skeptical. They are afraid and they have their doubts. Let's start with anxious, fearful. We've already said, hey, they're locked and huddled in the room there. Um, And you know what? This isn't the first time that their reflex has been fear. Right? We read about them. One time they're in a boat. They're in a boat with Jesus, who they've seen do incredible, even miraculous things. A storm comes up, and their reflex isn't in the midst of the storm to turn to Jesus. They turn to fear. Even just a few days ago, when their teacher was apprehended, what did they do? They all abandoned him. Right? Sure, sure Peter denied him three times, but absolutely none of them defended him at his public trials. Right? Fear something that marked these early leaders of the church. And they're not the first prone people in the Bible, right? Like if we open up the Bible, if I were going, uh, like from the word go, first book of the Bible, Genesis, we see it there in, uh, make sure I've got my Bible up the right way here. Um, We see it in chapter three, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, um, brokenness has entered in. They've decided to go their own way. God shows up on the scene. And what does Adam say? First of all, he hides. Just like the disciples were hiding. And then he says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. We see that when brokenness enters in, fear enters in, and Adam, Eve, uh, Abraham, Sarah, Jonah, the, the women and men of the nation of Israel, all prone to fear, right? Afraid of what others might say or think about us or do to us, afraid that they might not get what they want or afraid that they might lose what they have. Does any of this sound familiar? All of us here this morning are prone to fear and worry. Some of us are more skilled at hiding that 
But the reality of us, the reality of it is all of us fear. Many of us feel, fear very real things. Um, we fear cancerous cells multiplying in our body. Right? We, we fear what's going to happen to our child. We're the caretaker for this child, and we know that when we're not here, we're not sure who's going to take care of this child with special needs. Some of us fear maybe we'll spend the rest of our life alone. We're looking at this passage. Um, the passage is Easter evening, fear on Easter evening. Let me ask you about your evenings, right? Um, when the silence falls around us and the whispers start within us, what do you fear? That's where you need hope. That's where I need hope. And we see that here this morning and what we see in Jesus. So passion starts with a group of guys that are afraid, and then it actually lasers in on one guy that doubts. Right? Thomas. Got to be honest with you, I feel bad for Thomas, all right? His actual name has worked his way into everyday language, right? If someone's skeptical, what do we call him? Oh, that's a doubting Thomas, right? That's, that's beat up, right? Like, what if, what if every time you saw someone, like, trip and fall down, you're like, oh, look at that clumsy Rob over there. Hey, check that out. Um, Thomas... He's got uh, an entire movement of art named after him, right? It's called the uh, Incredulity of St. Thomas, right? Middle, uh, medieval Renaissance works hanging in um, cathedrals and museums all over Europe and America, right? Great. Like, how would you love that? Just pictures of kind of one of your low points hanging everywhere. <laughs> um, right? We see, we see Thomas's doubt. Um, you see it there in verse 25. He's very frank. Uh, before we look at that, we did, should notice, though, right? Uh, John lets us know Thomas missed an important meeting, right? Like, have you ever missed that meeting or that class? You're like, oh, why wasn't I there, right? Like, he missed an important meeting. He missed the meeting where the resurrected Jesus showed up. The guys tell him, hey, you should have been there. Guess what happened? And he's like, no, I'm not having it. I don't believe it. Verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his sides, I will never believe it. Hey, Thomas is a doubter, all right? No doubt about that, but that does not make him unique. Right? Again, open up this book and you will find doubting Adam and doubting Eve, doubting Abraham and doubting Sarah. Please open up the Psalms and see the doubt you will find there. God, where are you? God, why are you not doing something about this? Doubt is not unique to Thomas. If you are here this morning, um, and you are struggling with doubt, welcome to the club. I was, I was a very ardent agnostic as a junior in high school. The Christian message was not easy for me to believe at first, um, and I still struggle with fear and doubt at times. But here are a couple of things that bring me encouragement from this passage. Um, one, it is compelling to me that if you were going to create 
a religion. Like if you were just going to dream up or invent some sort of religion for whatever reason, greed or um, just you wanted power or you were just insane, I don't know why you would do it. But if you were going to do that, I doubt this is how you would describe the early leaders of your movement. Right? Like go back to your list of words that describe leaders. Um, did any of them include fearful or anxious or uh, skeptical? Were those in the top of your list? I would imagine not. I think the only reason to explain why John would describe them that way is because that's how it really went down. That's who they really were. Another encouraging thing from this passage is, is this. Um, for Thomas... Um, for Thomas, doubt is not his destiny. All right? Um, For the disciples, fear is not final for them. Jesus meets them where they're at, but he doesn't leave them there. Um, Real people. We see real people here in this passage. Let's talk about real hope. All right, before we talk about real hope, let's... uh, Let's talk a little bit about false hope. And here's what I mean by that, false hope. It's not if you're going to try to find some sort of way to cope with your fear and worry and the questions that dwell inside of you. It's not if you're going to try to find some way to cope with those things, it's how. It's not if, but how. How do you cope with the questions dwelling inside of you and the fear dwelling inside of you? For some of us, it's denial, For some of us, it's just distraction. If I can just stay busy enough, right? D.C., a town where people just stay busy so they don't have to think about some of these things. Um, If I could just numb myself to those things, right? I'm just just going to drink or um, take drugs or just scroll on my screen enough that I can just numb myself from trying to, to deal with these questions and these fears Questions like, uh, am I worthy to be loved? Some of us try to cope with that by just going to relationship after relationship. Girl after girl, guy after guy. Um, There's no other way to ultimately deal with the fear and questions inside without turning to Jesus. That's your only hope. We're going to turn to Jesus, but first let's notice what he doesn't do. So Jesus shows up on the scene with these real people. Let's notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't just give up on them and abandon them, right? He could have shown up and said, okay, fellas, really? Um, How many miracles did you see me do? Everything I said has come true. Really, fellas, a locked door. That's where we're at now, right? He could have just given up on them, abandoned them. Hey, guys, I'm going to go get another team. Like, I'm going to check out the transfer portal. I'm going to do something. I'm going to find another group to work with. But he doesn't do that, right? He, He could have given up on them. He doesn't even scold them. If there was ever a delicious moment to say, I told you so, right here is it, right? Like, especially with Thomas, just to rock up and be like, bam, told you so. But he doesn't do that. Our Savior doesn't do that. Look at what he does. He does two things. He gives them persuasive evidence. And he gives them peace. 
gives them persuasive evidence, and then he gives them peace. A persuasive evidence in that he, he shows up on the scene with his resurrected body. Let me ask you this. If your friend and your teacher, the one who you had said was the Messiah, shows up having risen from the dead, what else do you have to be afraid of? What can be taken from you? What are you, what are you going to miss out on? What can people do to you, really, that you need to be afraid of if you realize that your friend and teacher and Lord has showed up, shown up, risen from the dead. What is there to fear? Right? I mean, if the religious leaders wanted to do away with all of this Jesus and Christianity stuff, all they had to do was give tours of the tomb and show everyone Jesus' body. But they couldn't do that because he had risen. Sure, they tried to you know, concoct a tale of all the, the guards were bribed and the, the followers stole his body, but that doesn't explain how he appeared to the disciples and how he appeared to more than 500 people. Hey, every one of us in life, have to, to make a decision. What are we going to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with the resurre resurrection of Jesus Christ? Either it's true, which I believe it is, and it brings us the life and hope that we long for, or it's false. All right? And that then makes Jesus insane, Christianity nonsense, and what we're doing here, frankly, a waste of time. We just might as well go to brunch early. What are you going to do with the resurrection? Each of us has to answer that question. Um, look at Jesus' commitment to persuasive evidence, especially when it comes to Thomas. Right? Thomas had laid out this list of requirements, and Jesus comes to him. He doesn't abandon him. He doesn't scold him. He walks up to him, and he says, Hey, Thomas, you know what? Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it, place it here in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And what does Thomas say? Remember what he says? He says, my Lord and my God. Get this. Thomas, the only person. This, the only place in all of the New Testament where someone calls Jesus my God. Doubting Thomas is the first one right here to say, my God. Because Jesus didn't give up on him and didn't scold him, but drew close and met him. And gave him hope. I particularly appreciate it, too, that right after that, Verse 29, Jesus isn't just looking and thinking of Thomas. He's looking and thinking of you and me. He's saying, Thomas, it's easy for you to, to, to believe this because you can see me, but there's going to be those who, unlike you, aren't going to be able to see me. Blessed are they that even though they don't see what you are seeing, they still believe. Persuasive evidence and peace. Both times that Jesus shows up with the disciples and with Thomas, what's the first thing he says? Peace be with you. And let's be transparent, right? We all long for peace. 
when we feel most hopeless, when there's this absence of peace. And we all know that there's this reality too, right? Circumstantially, all hell can be breaking loose in your life. And if Jesus is with you, in an inexplicable way, you have peace. And the opposite is true too. You could have everything that you thought you longed for, the the marriage you thought was going to satisfy you, the job that you've dreamed of, the grades that you thought would make you happy. You can have all of those things and if Christ isn't present, you've, peace is nowhere to be found. Where Jesus is, there's peace. And that's our hope. Um, there's a couple questions all of us have to be able to answer if we want peace. A couple questions we all have to answer. We have to answer the question of how we're going to deal with the brokenness inside of us. We know we're not who we were created to be. The Bible calls this sin. How are you going to deal with that? What are you going to do with that? It's what separates us from our Creator. And we have to deal with this question around death, right? That death's shadow is cast over every accomplishment and every relationship. What are you going to do about that? How are you going to answer those questions? I would contend with you this morning. Jesus is the answer. His perfect life lived, his death on the cross, taking our penalty, his rising from the dead, defeating our enemies of death, the grave, and sin. That's our answer. That's our hope. That's our life. So I was clear with my agenda at the beginning. All right. I want you to see how this Easter message connects to every area of your life. John's clear about his agenda at the end of of the book. He says this, verse 31, I'm writing that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John doesn't just want you to know history or biography. John wants you to have life and have hope. That's why he's writing. Some of you this morning, you need to accept this hope for the first time. All right, you need to admit that you don't have it figured out, that you've made a mess, and that you need to be saved and rescued from yourself. Right? If that's where you're at on your journey of faith, don't leave here this morning. If you don't know what to do next, don't leave here without talking to me or somebody with a name tag on. We'd love to talk to you. Some of us this morning need to be build in um, more habits, uh, more routine, and remembering this resurrection hope because we forget it. Right? When life goes off the rails... We forget this resurrection hope. So maybe it's joining a community group. Maybe it's making a practice out of studying God's word with someone or meeting to pray with someone. We need to figure out how can we remember this resurrection hope. And um, this passage talks about how also the Father is sending us to share this hope. And I, for one, am happy that the Father can work with fearful, skeptical people to share the gospel. And so that's what we're doing here in Fairfax. That's why we exist. That's why we started this church a few years ago. We want to be those who share this kind of hope for fearful and skeptical people. Um, that art movement, uh, the incredulity of St. Thomas. There's actually an uh, Italian artist, uh, Caravaggio. All right, he, he painted a picture in 1601. It's got the same title, the incredulity of St. Thomas. 
And Caravaggio, um, he separated himself from his contemporaries a little bit in that they often painted their scenes kind of in this romantic style, right? Halos, more sterile scenes. Caravaggio has none of that. He paints with a realism. And he's got this painting of, uh, of Thomas and Jesus, right? It's, it's their encounter. And if you look at it, you see Thomas is, is, is moving his hand to Jesus' side, starting to investigate the wounds. And then when you look at, look at it a little closer, you see that Jesus has actually grabbed Thomas' hand and is pulling him closer. You see our Savior? Our fears and our doubts, they don't keep him away. If we'll, if we'll bring them to him, he pulls us closer. He pulls real people with real doubts and real fear. He pulls us closer and he gives us a real hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Easter morning where we can celebrate the resurrection. Where we can celebrate all that we have in our Lord and Savior and friend and brother Jesus. Open our eyes in new ways. Maybe for the first time for someone, open their eyes to see their need of Jesus and his willingness to welcome them. Save any of us from taking for granted the resurrection and all that it means for our life. By your grace, glorify your name in this place, we pray. Amen. Amen.